From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. A continuing resolution House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is preparing would keep the executive branch funded through December 11th. More money for farm subsidies and election security and extending deadlines for the census are the major issues the White House and the Speaker are negotiating. Roll Call reports both chambers will have to vote several times between now and September 30th. The Department of Veterans Affairs will repay six vendors hackers diverted payments from in a recent cyber breach. VA Press Secretary Christina Noel says the breach affected 13 vendors in total. FedScoop reports a letter Democratic members of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee sent to VA Secretary Robert Wilkie says VA originally told the committee the breach affected 17,000 vendors. U.S. Central Command's integrating artificial intelligence and machine learning into a new network infrastructure. CENTCOM's Director of Command and Control Communications and Computer Systems, Brigadier General Jeff Ray, is, says his goal is limiting access to data to what a user needs. C4ISRNet reports the system will share information with allies and partners, too. The Defense Department will spend more than $10 billion on health care modernization over the next 21 years. The Government Accountability Office has identified risks in that acquisition and other mission-critical IT acquisitions across government. Carol Harris is Director of Information Technology Acquisition Management Issues at GAO. Carol, welcome back. Thanks for coming on the program. What are you looking at here exactly? What did Congress ask you to examine regarding some of these IT acquisitions? Congress asked us to look at the tops, the top acquisitions or major IT acquisitions across the federal government. Um, and so we went through systematically to identify what we found were the top 16 major IT acquisitions across government. And they range from, um, from everything related to terrorism related screening, foreign relations, the economy and public health. And so, um, failure in these systems would have a debilitating effect on agency missions. So that that was the, the list that we identified for Congress. The benefits here are obvious, and you write about them in this report, potential cost savings um, with uh, 13 of 16 of these because of shutting down legacy systems, eliminating paper processing, better service overall to the citizen. Um, are there common threads among the reasons that these acquisitions are at risk, Carol? Yes, there are common threads here. Um, one of the common challenges that we identified from these 16 included um, workforce issues as well as technical challenges. Um, uh, the majority of them, 11 in fact, um, had to rebaseline because they identified technical challenges um, within the, their system development efforts. Um, another common theme that we found that actually was encouraging is that the majority of these these acquisitions are also utilizing incremental development, which, you know, as part of FITARA, um, is is a is a considered an IT best practice. It's where we're moving away from these monolithic IT programs, breaking them up into smaller, more manageable chunks, and delivering functionality more quickly to the end user. Do we have a sense yet, Carol, of whether that that shift to incremental development is really a worldview shift, whether it's trickling down to smaller acquisitions, or is it still kind of focused primarily on these big ones? Do we even know that yet? 
Um, well, we we can we do know that, and and we do believe that agencies are adopting more incremental development approaches on a large scale. Um, a DHS, for example, is incrementing agile or is implementing agile development as one of their de facto incremental approaches across their their IT acquisitions, both major and non-major. So these are very encouraging signs. And I also think that the Fatara scorecard that's put out by the House um, Oversight and Reform Committee um, at twice a year has also played a major impact on the acceleration of the adoption by the agencies you are intimately involved in the delivery of the uh, of the uh, acquisition or the uh, fatara scorecard uh, twice a year what's the intersection between that work and the work that you're doing here to look at these major acquisitions how do they touch on each other carol that's a great question and the fatara scorecard identifies major areas of best practice that IT acquisitions should be adopting. So incremental development is one. Also the consolidation of data centers, the better management of software licensing, having a comprehensive inventory of those licenses um, as examples, as well as increased CIO authorities so that CIOs have proper authority over their budgets to carry out these major acquisitions more effectively. And so as one example that we identified in one of the 16, um, such as VA's electronic health records modernization program, a very, very critical program to our veterans. Um, that's one where, you know, increased CIO authority uh, would help, would would certainly help to um, improve the efficiency and the effectiveness of the deployment of the system. And the CIO authority was something, as I read through the entire work that you and your team did, Carol, that it kept coming, not explicitly mentioned uh, throughout the report, but it just, I kind of read it between the lines in a lot of the work here, that this is still not where it should be. And I went back and looked at the last Fatara scorecard. That scorecard also reflects that as well, doesn't it? Exactly. So when you talk about CIO authorities, one of the key um, authorities that, that we really hit on is um, CIO authority over work the, the IT workforce. And workforce challenges by far was the most um, pressing challenge for the 16 acquisitions. And so um, having increased authority um, in that area for the CIOs would be really critical to, to the successful deployment of these, these critical systems. We have about a minute left, and I'm not going to ask you to comment on this specific example, but the last time that Karen Evans, the new CIO at DHS, was on the program, she talked about a collaboration between her and Angela Bailey, the chief human capital officer at DHS, about uh, an initiative on their cyber workforce. Is that the kind of partnership, is that the kind of collaboration that fulfills kind of the spirit of what Fatara and your work are talking about, Carol? Absolutely, these these experts, both in the IT field and the, the human capital world, need to come together and collaborate. So that's absolutely what we wanna see, not just in cyber, but also in all aspects of IT, including systems engineers and architects as one example. So we wanna see that um, proliferate across the agencies to to better improve the landscape of IT. Carol Harris, thanks very much for coming on. You're, you're welcome, thank you, Francis. Up next, executing major government procurements from the kitchen table. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the telework impact on the acquisition workforce. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News.
Welcome back. Federal employees that are already teleworking could keep working remotely a lot longer. A new survey from GovExec says 60% of feds that are working out of the office now expect to keep working from out of the office for the next six months or more. Greg Giddens is partner at Potomac Ridge Consulting, former chief acquisition officer at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Greg, thanks for coming back on. What do you think this looks like, say, six months out? If a lot of the acquisition workforce is still working in this dispersed fashion, I'm not thinking so much about the fact that they're not working out of the, or working in the office as I am about the fact that they're not working together in collaborative groups face to face. So, Francis, I, I do think what we're currently seeing is going to be around for a while. Uh, but I've got a lot of confidence in the acquisition workforce. And in fact, if you think about people that can understand how to maneuver in the maze of the federal acquisition system, Figuring out how to do telework is not going to be that challenging for them. Most agencies leaned in hard and got the right IT infrastructure and support in so that they have the ability to actually connect and communicate. Because I think that is the biggest issue that we'll have moving forward is how do you keep that connection within the office, that collaboration, but much more focused within the office. Because if you think about it, most procurement organizations, acquisition offices were already physically separated from both their internal mission customer and industry that's delivering the solution. So this is a lot about how leadership can find other tools and mechanisms to bring the organization and keep them together. When I first came into this community many years ago, our mutual friend Stan Soloway said it takes about five years to grow an acquisition professional before that person is really ready to run on his or her own. Is that timeline change at all in a remote work environment, given the importance of these folks communicating with each other, collaborating with each other, someone taking another person under his or her wing to really help them learn the ropes? So I, I think that might have even shortened over the past years. And in this environment, it may still shorten some. We've mostly got used uh, to using this magic mirror Zoom or Teams or Skype or whatever a tool of choice uh, people have. And what I've found is leaders are really being able now to focus on managing performance and not managing presence. So they're looking at their teams, they're understanding what their needs are. They're using some tools like uh, National Contract Management Association has an online assessment tool for procurement professionals. There are other tools out there so that managers, when they're now in a position where they can't manage by wandering around, uh, they can have some tools that help assess uh, where the team is uh, what types of training they might need so they can focus on that. And of course, there's lots of online training that people can take advantage of once you really understand where the needs and the gaps are. Do you measure the outcomes of acquisitions or measure the uh, skills of your workforce or anything like that differently? Or you just apply the same measures as we've applied historically, Greg? I think you have to look at different ways to measure that because I think there was some of that inherent measurement uh, when everybody was in the office and you could walk around, you could overhear the conversations, you could have all the pop-up conversations. But I think now what you need to do is to look at the assessment tools that are out there and use those to understand where people are in their journey. And you may find some people really not from a training perspective, but from an experiential perspective. And leaders can look at those situations and find more dynamic, more complex acquisitions in order to keep challenging people to continue to grow them. The biggest risk, I think, is that we have a workforce that becomes stagnant. There's a lot of focus on how you can improve that and make sure that everybody is operating at the top uh, of their certifications. What about onboarding? One of the issues that private sector companies have spoken a lot about the, uh, over the last several months is that process of bringing somebody new into an organization 
and having that person feel integrated into the organization and learning about just kind of how things work. Um, maybe this is how things work and maybe that doesn't matter as much as people are thinking about, but I wonder what that looks like from your perspective. Well, I, I think it does matter that early assimilation of somebody coming into an organization. And what I've seen a lot of companies as well as federal organizations and agencies do is assign them really with a buddy. And I know, you know, we may all kind of snicker at that term, but really assign them with somebody that can help bring them on and they can stay connected. Uh, again, stay connected through Zoom or Teams or Skype, but also organizations are leveraging lunch and learns as a way to keep the organization connected and together. And in this virtual age, you don't have to worry about who's local. You can really establish that connection with, with anybody across the country or the world as another way to help the organization come together. But that initial simulation still becomes a focus point, and it requires somebody in the office being willing to take that person along with them and bring them kind of under their wing for the first few months. Do the skills that make for a good acquisition professional change in this environment, Greg, or are the skills still the skills? I think the skills are still the skills. The, the work is changing, though. Automation is coming. You know, the leverage of acquisition uh, professionals using artificial intelligence, machine learning to take some of the transitional transactional activity uh, uh, off of their shoulders so they can focus more on process and kind of the intellectual gymnastics of acquisition. I, I think that will continue uh, as organizations move forward. Greg, about 30 seconds left. What will you watch moving forward to see how this uh, turns out? Well, I'll watch uh, how people and really organizations continue to understand that work is becoming more about what you do, not where you do it. And I'll also be watching to see what happens when schools become more kind of typical in-classroom instruction. Uh, we haven't seen a negative tick in performance. I think we'll see a positive tick when that happens and you have parents and guardians being at home and able to focus on work without having to worry about doing school at home as well. Greg Giddens, thank you very much as always. My pleasure, Francis. Thank you. Up next, cybersecurity policy in Congress. Straight ahead on Government Matters, will anything get done in an election year? Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back. Back the Cyberspace Solarium Commission has a number of its recommendations as amendments in both versions of the National Defense Authorization Act. The Commission also has new recommendations for the Office of Personnel Management about hiring reforms for the cyber workforce. Ron Marks is president of ZPN National Security and Cyber Strategies, a former CIA official and former intelligence advisor to two Senate Majority Leaders. Ron, welcome back. Thanks for coming on. I imagine the lift for cyber policy changes in Congress doesn't get any easier with the passing of Justice Ginsburg and the furor about replacing her on the Supreme Court. Is it possible for something to happen cyber-wise between now and the adjournment of Congress? Yeah, a friend of mine recently said if 2020 were a movie, we would have walked out by now. Uh, I think certainly for cyber at this point, uh, you know, there, there's a whole witch's brew here now, not just the replacement of a Supreme Court justice, uh, but uh, putting together a uh, continuing resolution. Uh, as you know, we're going to run out here by 1 October. That's not been developed yet. We're sitting on 21 September right now. Uh, we're talking about trying to get uh, some form of uh, NDAA passed uh, in December. So says Mac Thornberry, who should know, uh, who's House Armed Services Committee chair, as you know. Um, 
I think it's going to be hard. You know, one of the delightful parts about working on Capitol Hill is that I'm always surprised at what you can pull off at uh, at 1:45 in the morning. Uh, so it is doable, but uh, boy, it's this is about as strong a headwind as I've seen for some time. Well, the 1:45 in the morning reference is appropriate. My former colleague at the radio station, Mike Causey, told me about a time he was working in the um, House Gallery, and something had to be done at midnight. He was a young reporter. This was a long time ago. And he said, well, to one of his colleagues, I'm going to go write the story about how this didn't happen. And the colleague said, no, just wait. And the sergeant at arms came out, opened the face of the clock, and moved it back 10 minutes to give the uh, negotiators 10 more minutes to do whatever they needed to do. Those kinds of things are possible, and I imagine it's helpful that some of these cyber policy issues are included in the NDAA, which has passed for, I think, 59 years in a row. I think this would be the 60th one if it passes this year. Yeah, you really don't fool around with the NDA. Uh, you, I've seen people fool around with the intelligence bill. I, there was a period of time, I think, for six years when it wasn't passed. Uh, Lord knows, Foreign Relations Committee, uh, the foreign affairs bills have been, uh, uh, it's, it's been really a, a monument to uh, political delay of one form or another, 12, 13 years at one point. So the NDA does come through. They still really have to sit down and conference. I mean, there are some some differences here. Uh, they've certainly voted out of House and Senate uh, strong uh, veto-proof numbers. Uh, so if they can uh, get together, and I'm sure they're talking with each other. I, I think one of the uh, one of the challenges here is, of course, we at the public tend to view this an issue at a time. Uh, obviously, both senators and congressmen are consumed uh, right now with both political election issues uh, as well as uh, a Supreme Court justice on the Senate side, but also on the House side, too, its leadership there. Uh, has expressed some concern about a nominee putting in before the election. Uh, that being said, I think they can move fairly quickly if they so desire. National defense, $745 billion is almost half of the discretionary budget of the U.S. I don't think you really want to fool around with that. So I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic, which is against my nature, uh, that we will actually see some of these uh, proposals put forward. Um, we will see uh, who is uh, sworn in on January uh, 20th. Uh, 2021, uh, in part because I think that will make a difference in terms of, for instance, the cyber director. Uh, the Biden people appear to be more open at this point. Now, you know, keep in mind we're in the middle of the campaign and they've got other issues at hand. Uh, but the teams that are working on that issue seem to be very open uh, to the Cyber Solarium Commission recommendations. Um, Trump administration, I think it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, no executive branch likes to be told by the legislative branch what to do. Uh, but that cyber director, I think, is still a crucial part of this. Uh, and if anybody can get that thing through, uh, then I think we have a, uh, a nice start uh, in cyber world to 2021. We just have a couple of minutes left, Ron, and I want to shift gears in the time that we have remaining. Uh, we had a brief exchange over the weekend about a Yahoo News story, a fascinating story about uh, an, an undercover operation by the CIA in 2008 uh, spy operation against China that went bad. And you wrote in response to that, I have four friends who have stars on the wall more dangerous now than during the Cold War. Why so? Well, this is a, this is a very different time. During the Cold War, there was almost, in uh, the later Cold War, this would have been the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, um, there was almost a gamesmanship to it. Uh, you know, part of it was, you know, Russia is a nation state, and so they had a Ministry of Defense. We had a Defense Department, that kind of thing. But there was a bit of a game to it. Uh, if something fouled up, you were thrown out of the country. You were PNG, persona non grata. 
Um, a lot of this was done in the central cities under diplomatic cover. You know, since 9-11, uh, the number of stars, the number of people who have been killed, representative uh, stars on the wall at CIA, uh, has more than doubled. In fact, it's come to the point now where my understanding is there's some discussion about where they're going to put more stars. Uh, terrorism, uh, more dangerous efforts uh, now. Uh, I think we're heading in, whether we like it or not, into a Cold War type situation with China. Uh, they're spying on us, we're spying on them. Uh, they're using people in the U.S. We're trying to do some things, I'm sure, there as well. Um, I, I anticipate that it will continue to be more dangerous. Uh, cover is more difficult than it used to be because of the Internet, because of our ability to trace information. Uh, one of the reasons I was particularly concerned over the OPM leak uh, was that we're all part of OPM, and uh, you know the Chinese can certainly sort through that uh, pile of names to determine uh, who's uh, going where and uh, under what circumstances and for whom they work. So I, you know, I, 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 I pray for those there, uh, but I also know that uh, that it is a place that is driven, uh, as is the military. Uh, and there are many other places uh, that you know and I know about in the government by duty and honor and country. Uh, and I think those people are more than more than up to the task, but it is, again, a much more dangerous task than ever before. Ron Marks, thanks very much as always. You're welcome, Francis. I'm Sharice Hanner. You can now keep your finger to the pulse of all things that matter to the business of government anytime, anywhere. Subscribe to the Government Matters Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, or simply ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters Podcast. For a quick fix of government news, follow us at Twitter at GovMattersTV. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 1030 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.